Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. We're delighted to be with you. And uh, I've been looking forward to this session for some time because we have as our very special guest, Dr. Randy Woodson, who is in his 14th year as Chancellor of North Carolina State University and is, uh, by all accounts, has just uh, done a marvelous job of, of, of continuing the growth of North Carolina State and making it one of the nation's top research universities. And uh, so, Dr. Woodson, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to start off with just talking about the role of what makes a research university a little different from just uh, a college, because uh, I, I think a lot of our citizens don't understand how important research is to the overall educational process. Well, that, um, thanks for starting with that, Don. Yeah, a research university is um, like like NC State and UNC Chapel Hill are the two prominent public research universities in the state. And they're a university that prioritizes both uh, the academic mission of teaching with the discovery of new knowledge and, and uh, putting that new knowledge into use through patents and through technology commercialization. And, um, and so a research university really has been uh, across the United States one of the key engines for economic development across our great country. Uh, and, and really research universities began, uh, began to really show their strength for our country uh, during and after the Second World War. You know, when you think about the technology that was needed to lead uh, our, our world out of that catastrophe and and take advantage of all the technology to build uh, new economies. Uh, research universities are the places that do that. They do it in human medicine. They do it in, in our case, veterinary medicine, agriculture and engineering. And so a research university is uh, really not only teaching subjects, but discovering the subjects that we teach. How about that? Well, I think that's a great summary, and of course, it, this ties in so well with what has happened as, as far as the research triangle, because with North Carolina State, with UNC Chapel Hill, and with Duke, uh, of course, that led to the wonderful opportunities that uh, uh, of bringing in so many great companies into the so-called research triangle. It's all based on the three schools. Well, uh, and, and Don, that's another, that's another critical point of what research universities do. I mean, if you if you think about the companies that have relocated and built uh, in North Carolina, they're they're doing it because of this research ecosystem that the the three universities you've just mentioned really have contributed to. Well, it's been so important to North Carolina because we changed our total economy. We left uh, we were so dependent on furniture manufacturing, cigarette manufacturing, uh, um, and, uh, uh, of course, agriculture has always been big, but uh, we became high-tech primarily because of the research universities and uh, the research triangle, and it's uh, led us to a great and very strong and very vibrant economy for the entire state. Well, that's that's true, and, um, 
And we, and we don't want to forget that because continuing to invest in research and build these uh, research universities is critical to North Carolina continue to be one of the top states in the nation for industrial growth. Well, you know, uh, you have, uh, what, nearly 38,000 students involved at NC State, a $2 billion budget. Um, being a chancellor is a very difficult role. I have observed this for some time because you've got a lot of bosses. You've got parents, you've got students, you've got faculty, you've got a board of trustees, you've got a board of governors, you've got the General Assembly. Uh how do you how do you uh, manage to keep your sanity with all that? <laughs> well, you know, let's start with the fact that yes, there there are a lot of different constituencies, but the one thing they all have in common is they all love the university, and uh, they they all have their own views about what success looks like for the university, and so managing all those constituents is trying to understand what what their vision is for NC State and and how that ties into the overall strength of the university. I tell people my job really is like being a CEO because you've got to build a team uh, and, and manage a $2 billion budget, but it's equally like being the mayor of a city where, where you've got all these constituents that you know, that uh, they may not have voted on you, but they feel like they've got a, um, a, ve a vested interest in the outcomes of the university. So it's an interesting job, and it has uh, it, a lot of balls in the air, for sure. Well, you mentioned the $2 billion budget, and of course, that brings us back to, I guess, the overriding question about the future of college education and college, and that's cost, because the yep. costs have continued to rise. We are lucky in North Carolina because our state schools have relatively low tuition and pretty good support from the General Assembly. But nonetheless, the cost of an education keeps going up. What do you see as uh, where where is the cap? Where is the where is the top? Well, it uh, education has gone up, and the cost of education, and I think um, honestly, Don, I think there was a period of time when um, as states across the nation were divesting from higher education, um, universities put a lot more on the backs of students and families. Um, as you point out, though, in North Carolina, we've had very, very strong support over many, many years from the General Assembly. And in fact, in our state, uh, we haven't raised tuition for North Carolinians for any campus in the UNC system for seven years. Um, and the, the challenge for me as a chancellor is inflation, it turns out, is a real thing. Um, and so we've got we've had some challenges with increasing costs, but uh, we've done a great job as a UNC system of really managing um, uh, costs and, and paying attention to affordability, trying to reduce the debt that students take on. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this system because of their focus on affordability, uh, but across the country, college education, you know, when I went to college, I, I could go to a state university. 
I could work in the summer and and, and make enough money to to contribute a, a lot toward the cost of my education. Uh, that's not the case anymore for a lot of young people. And to, while tuition is is low for us relative to almost every state in the nation, it, the cost of living is hasn't hasn't gone down in Raleigh. And so um, the affordability for our students and those that live off campus has been a challenge. Uh, so we we have to remind ourselves constantly that the cost of education is not just tuition. Um, it's all the other ancillary costs that contribute to it. Um, we've, we're doing something now at, at NC State, and I know this is true at Carolina and other universities where uh, we're, we're subscribing, subscribing to digital platforms for the textbooks that our students have had to buy over the years. Don, when you were in college, I bet you, you know, you could spend $50, $100 and get all the textbooks you needed. I'm not saying how old you are, but. Uh, <laughs> well, we were still using slates when I was in school, but that's a side of the point. But but you're right. Uh, maybe when I bought books, uh, you uh, if you wanted to keep your textbook, you could, but you took them back and sold them and you got, you know, probably 75% of the money back. Well, well, now uh, we can offer students a subscription uh, and and have access to all of their educational material digitally, and do it for you know a tenth of the cost of the printed version of the material, and 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 that's really so we're doing things like that to to really try to save uh, students and their families money. Um, but yeah, the cost of education is definitely. Um, and now I'm I'm one of those people uh, that, and, and I believe the statistics bear this out that there's still no better investment than than higher education in terms on a lifetime of income. But for the first time, at least in a generation, people are starting to question that investment, and we've got to pay attention to that. Absolutely, and. Uh... Uh, let me change the subject just briefly before we wrap up this segment. This year's graduates were more affected by COVID than any other class that you will have. What were the lessons that you learned from the COVID experience? Well, there, I'll tell you one of the lessons we've learned is human interaction is pretty critical to education. And, uh, you know, our students lost so much in the, the extracurricular things that are associated with their learning. They're, they're studying together, they're working together in teams. Um, all the things that, that a residential university experience brings. Um, we got much better at digital education. Our faculty uh, that had not previously had a lot of experience in online instruction got much more sophisticated in the way we deliver course content. That's helped us uh, now that we're back in person uh, to be more digitally literate with our students. Um, but, but we learned a lot about what we lost and we learned the value in those um, in-person 
interactive experiences that were missed. Um, the other thing we learned is that students that had two years of COVID high school, I'll call it, um, were not as prepared for, for college as they had been in the past. And we're coming through that now, but um, that that was a, a lot of lost time for a lot of our students, both in college and in high school and, and below in K through 12. Yeah, it was a very difficult period of time, and I think everyone learned a lot. And, of course, we're still experiencing some of the results of it even today because uh, the workforce hasn't totally returned to the office yet. And uh, we we find out in business it's the same thing you found out in education. You're better off working with your coworkers than working at home. So that's kind of interesting. Well, we've got lots of things on our chart to talk about. We want to talk about the program you've got called Wolfpack 2030. We want to talk about college athletics because that's very much in the news these days. Our guest is Dr. Randy Woodson. He is the uh, uh, 14th chancellor and in his 14th year at NC State. And we will do all of that when we return right after we take time out for these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Randy Woodson, the 14th Chancellor of, the of uh, uh, North Carolina State University, is our guest. And uh, we opened the program with talking about the cost of education and that uh, situation. But uh, I I'm also very interested in finding out about the, uh, the Wolfpack 2030 plan that you are working on. Well, Don, this is... Um... You know, we, I'm a I'm a person that believes in in strategy and planning, and so Wolfpack 2030 is our 10 year strategic plan. We just completed our first strategic plan uh, since I arrived, and and this is uh, our our next iteration. It really puts student success front and center of everything we do. Um, you know, I'll I'll tell you that. Uh, back back in the day, and I, a lot of your listeners will remember this, 
you'd go to college and you'd sit in that chemistry class and the professor would say, look to your left and look to your right, because only one of you is going to survive my course. And uh, with the cost of higher education, which, which we talked about earlier in the program, uh, we, we know that we need to work hard to help our students be successful. Um, that doesn't mean everybody is successful, but we know that they, they're prepared and they're, they're, they competed to get here and we need to help them succeed. So a lot of our work in Wolfpack 2030 is really about uh, giving the students the resources they need to be successful, giving them uh, the experience outside of the classroom that will help them on the job market. Um, and, and so that's a big part of it. Another big part of it is our effort to build uh, interdisciplinary research teams. Um, we, we have a lot of faculty that are very knowledgeable about, uh, have deep knowledge about subjects, but in order to solve problems, we need to bring, bring people together from different colleges. And so we're investing a lot in uh, bringing uh, scientists and engineers together. I'll give you one little example. It's not a little one, but, um, you know, agriculture in the state of North Carolina is now a $100 billion industry. And um, But it's an industry that is reliant on a lot of information and data. And so we're bringing uh, industri uh, system engineering approaches into agriculture uh, and, and bringing sensors and other technologies to bear on the production of, of plants. And that's something that um, that we hadn't done before. Um, and so we're bringing scientists and engineers together to solve big problems. And that's a big part of Wolfpack um, 2030. It's our, again, it's our 10-year plan to keep this university growing and keep us focused on the problems of North Carolinians. You know, we hear a lot about grade inflation. Uh, I've, I've got a theory, and I want to try it out on you and see what you think. I think the average student is so much brighter these days than the average student was when I went to school. I think the top students have always been top students, but it seems like to me the average student is just brighter. Is uh, and My theory is that that's what is so-called uh, created grade inflation. Would you comment on that? Am I off base? No. Uh, no, you're not off base, I, but I want to correct, uh, at least I want to use my version of the language. I don't know that they're uh, brighter. That is, they have the same IQs that, that students had in the past. They have the same inherent ability to learn. Uh, the difference is they're exposed to so much more now. Yes. And, and they have... Um, you know, so many more opportunities for advanced placement courses and just the amount of information that is available at the fingertips of students uh, compared to when I was uh, coming of age is um, is just phenomenal. So, yes, they're more ready uh, and they, they certainly are brighter in the sense of Having been having been exposed to so much more, but I believe their intelligence is uh, no greater than the intelligence of our generation. It's just they've been uh, their 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 brains have been stimulated more <laughs> by uh, 
through technology, honestly. And and there's some downside to that, too. I mean, I don't know if you saw this recently, but the Surgeon General of our great country just issued a report on the damaging impact of social media on young people. Um, but he also recognized that that all those young people having all that information at their fingertips has them more prepared uh, to come to a university like NC State. So um, they, they've just been, I hear this all the time. I interact with alumni and they say, I could never get into NC State now. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it's just not a fair comparison because what they were exposed to and the kind of educational opportunities they had growing up are very different than what students have now. Talking about admissions, how many applications are you receiving these days? Because I understand with this common app, it's a lot easier for students to apply. Yeah, this year we had 41,000 applications for 5,000 freshman spots. And, um, and about... 50% of those come from out of state. And Don, as you know, we're very restricted on the number of out of state students we can take. Um, 18% or less of our freshman class has to come from, uh, it, we can't go over 18%. Um, and we, we get about 20,000 uh, applicants from North Carolina, which is the most of any um of the UNC system campuses, um, so, and we're very proud of that. But, um, you know, enrollment across the the UNC system in some cases is either flat or, or declining. Um, we, we see tremendous demand at NC State, and, uh, and I know that's true for several other campuses as well, including Chapel Hill. Uh, but it's it's um, it's a very different world than when I was applying to college and I applied to my dream school and kept my fingers crossed. And uh, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't get in. Um, but now students apply to multiple institutions. So it's a different world for sure because of the common out. Do you think that the uh, the student uh, the schools like Chapel Hill and State where we have so many applications, do you think we could continue to grow because uh, that comes with a cost and sometimes it affects quality? Um, we are uh, we're st strategically growing at NC State. And and I'll I'll talk more about this because it's a big part of our Wolfpack 2030 plan that you mentioned earlier. Um, because of the growth in the technology industries in the triangle, you know, Apple and Google and Fujifilm, Dynasent and uh, Amgen and all these companies, we've been asked by the legislature to grow our computer science and our engineering program. And so we're selectively growing in those high employment and high impact fields. Uh, and, and we're growing our engineering program by 40% from 10,000 students to 14,000 students. Um, but much of the rest of the institution 
is really uh, not targeted for dramatic growth. Um, and that's, again, by design. Um, so you're right. I mean, that to grow our engineering program by 4,000 students means that we need to invest in over 100 new faculty. We have to grow our facilities. And fortunately, the General Assembly is helping us with that. Um, and, and that's true. Uh, you know, for example, I, I'm not here to talk about my peers, but, you know, I know that UNC Chapel Hill, for example, is is growing their data sciences program and the state is investing in helping them with that because that's a the fintech industry and, and other industries that are dependent on data sciences are looking for. Uh, so we're growing where there's a critical workforce need. And and it means that we're going to have to continue to invest in those. But you're right; there's a limit to um, um, to growth. Just for growth's sake, uh, can come at the expense of quality, and we don't want that to happen. Well, we also, uh, of course, you've got uh, other institutions within the uh, university system, and if if uh, the peer, the top peer station uh, universities grow, then it sometimes comes at the expense of the rest of the campuses, and that's a problem. Let me ask you this. has Does the model need to change? I mean, we've always had four years of high school, four years of undergraduate college, and then and the graduate school is becoming more and more important. Does the model need to change, and we need to look at an undergraduate degree maybe in three years? You know, that's a very... Um... It's a provocative question, and I'm going to answer it with a provocative answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and the reason I say that is because not only do we need to think differently about the undergraduate degree and the length of the degree, we need to think differently about, um, about post-undergraduate education and and I think the master's and the PhD will always be there. But increasingly, industry is looking for the universities to help them with credentials. Uh, credentials in, in area. I'll give you an example. We, we have a 12-credit-hour a credential in cybersecurity that employees for a number of technology companies will come and take 12 credit hours. They'll get a credential in cybersecurity. That helps them with their job. That credential is transferable uh, to other jobs, uh, but it's not a degree. But it could be stacked. It could be used as part of a work toward a degree. Uh, and I think we've got to be more um more willing to consider education in bite-sized pieces that are relevant to the workforce needs of our country. That makes incredible amount of sense. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated with that. What about high school? Has is, is, is high school gotten to the point where I'm told a lot of seniors don't take a full load anymore because they've gotten their work out of the way? Uh, yeah. Should students be able to leave high school after the 11th grade and are they socially ready to do that? Yeah, I'm going to have to leave the psychologist to talk about the social readiness. Um, but I can tell you that 
You know, North Carolina leads the country in this early college career high school model where young people in high school uh, are able to work toward college credit and enter college with uh, be much further ahead of many of their peers. And this this need we need to continue to explore um, all of the ways of, of working uh, to, 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 you know, get students out of high school into college more prepared and more quickly. Our guest is Dr. Randy Woodson. He's the uh, chancellor at North Carolina State University. And we've had a fascinating discussion so far. We've got other things we want to talk about, including athletics. And we want to talk a little bit about the marvelous centennial campuses continue to be developed at NC State. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Dr. Randy Woodson, the chancellor at North Carolina State University. He's now in his 14th year, which is a a long tenure for a chancellor these days. Uh, But you have done such a marvelous job. I think everybody hopes that you're going to be there another 14 years, uh, maybe except your wife. Uh, Yeah, don't say that to my wife, for sure. Uh, but one of the things that has uh, been such a joy to watch living in Raleigh has been the development of the Centennial Campus. And uh, why don't you just give us a little background of where the Centennial Campus came from and how it's developed up to this point? Well, Centennial Campus really uh, came out of a, a joint vision uh, from Governor Jim Hunt, who, as you know, just did so much for our state and uh, Chancellor Bruce Poulton, who was here at the university at the time. And just to cut to the chase quickly, Governor Hunt was in a, had a challenging situation. He was, uh, uh, had all this land associated with the former Dix Hospital, uh, Dorothea Dix Hospital, and um, a lot of pressure to, to sell the land, uh, and of course benefit the state through that sale. And uh, he worked with Bruce Poulton to say, all right, I'll transfer this land to NC State, 
But only if the university develops this, not only as an academic campus, but through public-private partnerships to stimulate the economy. And uh, to show how bipartisan we were, uh, Jim Hunt transferred the tr first tranche of land to NC State on our centennial in, in uh, 1987. And then subsequently, Governor Jim Martin, a Republican governor, uh, transferred a larger portion of land to complete the transaction. And so Centennial Campus is a, uh, it's a college campus. It's the home of our uh, world-class Hunt Library and the home of the College of Engineering and the College of Textiles. But it's also the home of 76 companies uh, in corporate and and uh government research agencies that uh, bring a lot of vitality to our campus. They hire our students, they provide internships for our students and research funding for our faculty. One example that your listeners would be surprised by is we have uh, a government agency everyone knows called the National Security Agency that has a lab on our campus uh, where they're studying uh, new ways of, of keeping our country safe and partnering with our uh, our faculty in applied math and statistics and computer science. So it's a great way to, uh, to generate economic growth for the region and at the same, same time bring phenomenal partners to our campus. One of our latest and newest partners on campus is Under Armour, uh, the company that all athletic departments would know because it's a company that's that's famous for athletic attire and they have their innovation center for textile manufacturing on our campus. So it's a it's been a great asset and we're very grateful to Governor Hunt and Governor Martin for the vision uh, of not only transferring that land, but giving us a statutory ability to develop it both as um, a private development as well as a public university. What percentage of the land is under use and how much is yet remaining for the future? We're, we're at about 50% capacity in terms of land. Um, but re we just received a, a zoning, um, a new zoning authority on our campus that would allow us to go higher in construction you know, Raleigh's getting to be a city with uh, taller buildings. So while we're 50% developed in terms of land use, uh, we're not 50% of what the potential capacity of our campus is uh, with, with taller and more dense construction. These private companies, do they uh, also offer your students an opportunity to work with them on a either paid internship basis or a paid basis? They certainly do. In fact, they uh, every year they employ hundreds of our students as interns. And this is companies like um, Bandwidth, which is, a, um, you know, Red Hat, the company that's in downtown Raleigh, uh, grew up on Centennial Campus. And, um, and so, yes, they do hire a lot of our students as interns. And then when they graduate, they hire them. Um, so, when you look at the companies that are headquartered on Centennial Campus, you'll find that uh, NC State is the largest source of their employees, which is something we're very proud of. 
Well, it's a it's a great facility, and I, I enjoy going out there and just riding around and looking at it because it's growing up right before our very eyes. And if you live within the area and you're traveling to Raleigh or you live in Raleigh, you need to stop by and, and, and ride through the Centennial Campus because it, it just gives you an idea of what is available. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me is the relationship between uh, UNC Chapel Hill and North Carolina State because their curriculums balance off in many cases. There's there's some overlap, obviously, but the truth of the matter is a lot of the federal grants that uh, are received by one or both of the colleges uh, depend greatly on having the other one around. Well, it's a, it's a great collaboration, as you point out. Um, we do have some overlap. I mean, we both have chemistry departments and we have mathematics and other things uh, that we both have. But, you know, our strength in engineering, uh, Carolina's strength in human medicine and pharmacy, et cetera, provides tremendous opportunities for collaboration. Um, we have a joint department, one of the only ones in the country between two research one universities, and that's biomedical engineering. So a student that studies biomedical engineering at NC State or at Carolina, when they graduate, they get a single diploma with both names on the diploma. Um, it's a true joint department. Uh, to this morning, for example, and I, I shouldn't refer to a date because I know this is, uh, but uh, the recently the Board of Governors awarded the, um, um, oh gosh, um, the Max Gardner, the O Max Gardner Award. Uh, to a professor at UNC Chapel Hill um, who cited his relationship with faculty at NC State as a big driver for his research. So um, our two universities come together much more than people would ever imagine uh, to compete for grants, to, um, uh, to teach our students. And, you know, sometimes... Um, Sometimes we we steal each other's faculty. We try to avoid that, but it is a free market economy. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, our two universities uh, really, really build off of each other's strengths. You brought up faculty. Is retention of the faculty and recruiting faculty, uh, how how is that going these days? I understand it's uh, that a number of professors are staying on longer than previous years. and. Uh, but are we having a number of uh, uh, new faces to show up? Yeah, it's, um, I will candidly, it, we had a challenge with faculty retention uh, a few years ago because, Don, as you know, we went for three years without a budget in, as a state. Um, and, and that resulted in us not having the ability to keep uh, pace with our peers in terms of salary. Fortunately, the legislature and the governor have agreed on budgets in recent years, uh, and we're hopeful that that will be the case again this year. Um, and, and that's translated in us being in a better position uh, to, to really make sure that we're competitive with our faculty and staff. So retention is, is uh, improving, uh, and um, it is, we, faculty are working longer. Um, and I will say, though, that we've had more retirements during COVID than we experienced in the last 
decade. I think, um, you know, a lot of people rethought their their life during that pandemic. And uh, and that's led to us having a lot of opportunities to bring new new faculty onto our campus. So we're we're in a hiring hiring frenzy. Um, and and that's a that's a good thing for our our university to be able to bring new talent in, new ideas, and uh, and keep NC State moving forward. We talked about collaborations, uh, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the collaboration with uh, UNC Chapel Hill. But also, the community college system is working more and more with higher education. Uh, would you uh, talk about that a little? Yeah, actually, it's a um, it's an interesting development because historically we thought about community colleges in in their relationship with higher edu- uh, universities being uh, as feeder schools. You know, we we transfer about fifteen hundred students a year to NC State. Uh, about nine hundred of those come from our great community college system, but increasingly we're partnering with community colleges in economic development. Uh, and I mean, Wake Tech is a great example of that, right? We're right here in in Raleigh and, and Wake Tech is our largest uh, community college. And, and we've worked collaboratively with Wake Tech in some uh, educational programs for, for companies, for example, uh, for educating um, employees for the technology industry. So uh, our community college system is a great asset for the state, and it, it's an important vehicle for affordability for students to begin their academic career at a community college and then transfer to one of our UNC system schools. But increasingly, it's um, also a, a connection point for us with economic development. Well, we've talked about a lot of things. We haven't talked about the impact of the endowment and the contributions made by uh, uh, former alumni and others interested, but that's an important part of your budget these days. It is, and and it's a real success story for NC State. Um, I couldn't be more proud of our our campaign that, um, that ended above $2 billion, which... Um, was a, a big thing for us at NC State. I think we've really worked hard to create a culture of philanthropy that's translated into our endowment, exceeding $2 billion now. Uh, and and we've, we've almost tripled the number of endowed chairs. Uh, and, and Don, you personally have done so much uh, in philanthropy that you understand this and you understand the impact uh, that those dollars have on our universities. Um, we have we we've we have five thousand undergraduate students now receiving scholarship support that weren't wouldn't have been receiving it before the campaign. So it's impacting affordability. It's impacting faculty retention. It's impacting our ability to build buildings. Uh, you know, our last bond campaign, uh, we got two buildings out of that bond package, but only 50% of the cost of those buildings. And the rest we had to raise privately. And so private philanthropy, uh, the way I describe it is we can be good with the support from the state 
in the tuition dollars our students pay. But to be great, the difference between good and great is what our alumni and our friends do through private philanthropy. And we couldn't be more grateful for it. Well, one of the things that makes me so proud of our state is we have always put a high value in education and it shows up in our community college system, our university system. And uh, this is just something that I think is inherent in uh, the folks that live here. Well, and it's, it's inherent in the culture of our country. And it's, uh, as you know, when you travel around the world, it's, it's uniquely American and uh, we owe a lot to some of those founding philanthropy uh, philanthropists that, uh, you know, Mellon and others that did so much to create a culture of philanthropy for America. We'll be back with another segment with Dr. Woodson right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Great session today with Dr. Randy Woodson, who is the 14th Chancellor of North Carolina State University and happens to be in his 14th year, which is a long term for a chancellor, and he's accomplished so much at NC State and uh, has built uh, just such a great uh, uh, university that uh, we can all be so proud of. Let's uh, let's. But one of the things that is on everyone's mind right now is college athletics. And so many changes have occurred during the last uh, year or two with the introduction of the name, image and likeness decision where athletes can now uh, have agents. Uh, That's even going down to the high school level. We have the portal now where students can transfer in and out quicker and easier. Uh, and, uh, of course, then we've had a lot of talk about conference realignment because of the fact that some of the conferences are paying their schools so much more money than maybe the ACC schools can get. So it's, it's a complicated issue. So I'll just open it up and, uh, and say, you know, tell me how you see college athletics right now. And, and do you see any good solutions? Well, uh, <laughs> I hope there are good solutions because college athletics is, um, 
let me put it to you simply. We have educated more Americans through college athletics than anything other than the GI Bill. Think about that. That's amazing. And, and so this culture of education associated with athletics is something uniquely American and something that I hope we never, ever lose. But it is very, very complicated right now. Uh, name, image, and likeness. Uh, and on the surface, I will tell you, I think it's a wonderful thing that a student athlete can benefit from their name, their image, and likeness. If that benefit is legitimate, that is, if there's a true value associated with um, with their relationship with an advertiser, advertiser or whatever, I think uh, the challenge for us in universities and certainly for coaches is that name, image, and likeness has become uh, a way to induce athletes to attend a certain university, and uh, and it's 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 not always evident that the funds student athletes are receiving in the name of name, image, and likeness is truly compensation for services rendered. Uh, and, and so all of us that oversee college athletics are hopeful that we will get some clarity in rules that will make it clear that there are guardrails around NIL. Uh, but currently, the fear around antitrust litigation and other uh, court challenges has everyone afraid to to um, prosecute, if you will, the the uh, bad actors in this space. But none of us want to take away from the opportunity for a young person to to truly benefit from. Uh, their, uh, you know, the value of their brand, if, if that value has clear value in the marketplace and that can be reflected. Um, so it's it's a challenge. And the portal, you know, it's, it's really, really hard right now, uh, Don, to be a college coach. I mean, think about being a football coach and finishing spring practice and not even sure what your fall roster is going to be. Uh, because of the potential for transfers. Um, at the same time, uh, we allow all of our other students to transfer between universities. And so this notion that athletics uh, has to be um, has to be more restrictive is, is um, it would be hard to defend in the court of 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 law uh, and, and public opinion. So, um, I hope, again, that we're able to put some guardrails around transfer and around inducements to transfer uh, that that make it um, a little easier for our coaches to manage rosters. Um, but it's a challenge for sure. Well, you know, the the good thing about the portal is occasionally an athlete is just over-recruited and gets to a place where they're not going to have the opportunity to play, which is very important to them. And uh, that uh, gives them that opportunity to change. But as you said, it also creates these these other problems that, are, that, that don't answer that particular concern. 
I think uh, some of it uh, will work itself out. And let me give you an example that your listeners will be shocked by, I suspect. Last year, almost 50% of all of the Division I bas- men's basketball players entered the transfer portal. But less than 50% of those that entered the transfer portal and gave up their scholarship to do that wound up with a scholarship and a place to play in Division I. So it's musical chairs, and many of the student athletes that entered the portal wound up without a chair to sit in. And that that could create uh, some hesitancy on the part of, of student athletes to to make that, uh, to take that risk. Exactly. And uh, that, uh, I I guess, will take a little bit of time to uh, drive that point home to the point where that makes a difference. And of course, we also had the, uh, uh, this first couple of years, we had that fifth year of eligibility because of COVID that also uh, increased the the number of transfers. Uh, right. We also, of course, everyone in the ACC area is concerned about the conference realignment and uh, our situation because the SEC schools and the Big Ten schools are paying out their conference members uh, a, a greater distribution than the ACC. I know that uh, you probably can't comment too much on this, but that's not going to be a, play, a, a, a level playing field. Uh, do you have any comments on that that you feel like you can make? Of course, I can make some. I mean, I I can always make a comment or two. Um, I you know we've just come off of the ACC meetings, and and I believe that uh, all of the universities that are part of the ACC are really proud to be part of the ACC, and they want our conference to be successful. But we have the reality of a of a revenue gap, uh, and that's just there's no denying that. Um, the, the gap between the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Pac and, and the Big 12 is real. And uh, so, you know, we've got tremendous leadership in Jim Phillips, and we're working hard to uh, to make sure that we're deriving the, the best value out of our conference. Uh, our conference needs to be better uh, in, in particular in football because that's a big driver of revenue. We have a great opportunity now because of our partnership with ESPN. And uh, there's a there's a lot more time slots available on ESPN now because the Big Ten is no longer part of ESPN. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of things that we're, we can do as a conference to improve our value proposition. Um, and we're all working on those. We also just announced as a conference uh, plans for some differential revenue distribution associated with success. Uh, and that was announced just uh, recently. And and so as we see growth in revenue from the college football playoff expansion, et cetera, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at ways to distribute revenue within the conference. Um, to ensure that we have strong base support for for every university, but also providing some differential revenue that recognizes those schools that are being successful, and and that'll um, that'll stimulate uh, success, we believe. So um, th- we're we're working hard to make sure the ACC uh, remains a, a very strong 
uh, in uh, in competitive conference, which it already is. Um, but it's a it's a challenging time. Well, just as having uh, Chapel Hill and Raleigh so close nearby is an academic plus. Having the schools so close together is not necessarily good for athletics, <laughs> uh, because uh, uh, you know the support. Uh, uh, you know, if, if one of the schools was a hundred miles away from the other, there would be more fan support just by the uh, just by the numbers. But uh, you can't have it both ways, I guess. Well, when I moved here, uh, somebody asked me early in my tenure what was my biggest surprise. And I said, having three universities in the same athletic conference in the same media market. Yeah. Uh, because every morning you've got to wake up and you've got to listen to and read about uh, all three of our teams that are in the same competing for the same airtime and competing against one another in the same conference. Um, but by the same token, you know, um, that's a great opportunity. You know, people move here from all over the world and at their first neighborhood potluck, the first conversation is who you're going to root for because you got to choose. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, it, it, as I said, it's, it's something that we all, uh, I don't know what we would do. I, I, I wonder from time to time what the people do after church if they live in Nebraska. I mean, who do they talk about? Uh, <laughs> Well, I don't want to beat up on Nebraska too much. <laughs> uh, well, we've got about a minute for you to answer this question, a minute and 10 seconds or so. What do you consider your biggest challenge of the next year as you look forward to another year as chancellor of North Carolina State University? Well, um, we haven't talked about this, and and I just want to acknowledge it. We've had a difficult year at NC State. Uh, we've had student mental health and well-being has been a challenge for us. You've read about it, and, and you know uh, some of the challenges we face. So I believe our most significant challenge in higher education across the country and certainly at NC State is to help young people um, adapt to uh, to college and, and uh, to to come through uh, that transition from high school to college uh, with with the ability to cope, the resiliency so that they can uh, understand failure is a good thing and can stimulate success down the road. So I'd say our biggest challenge right now is helping young people um, with their well-being, their mental health, making sure that they're prepared to be successful and and prepared to experience failure and do it in a way that um, where their coping skills are strong. Dr. Woodson, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Great topics and, and great insights. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to uh, carolinanewsmakers.com and hear our conversation with Dr. Randy Woodson of uh, North Carolina State University. And, of course, we'll be back again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina with another guest. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.